mission is clear. To honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. Here, near, and far. Here, as we share God's love in our homes, neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. Near, as we spread hope, compassion, and peace in Jesus' name regionally. And far, as we take the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide. In our daily lives, throughout our community, and in the most remote corners of the world, God is calling us to make him known. Because the power of the gospel knows no bounds. Today we are wrapping up Wooddale Worldwide Week. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Today I have the privilege of welcoming our guest speaker. His name is Scott Rideout, and Scott has been a good friend and a mentor to me, and I'm so excited for you to have the opportunity to hear from him. Uh, Scott has been married to his wife Lisa for 35 years, and they began their journey in ministry when Scott was involved doing campus ministry. From there, he went into youth ministry and then became the lead pastor of Sun Valley Community Church. Sun Valley was about 400 when Scott assumed the role as lead pastor, and when Scott left that role to become the president of Converge Worldwide, some of you may know that as the Baptist General Conference, Sun Valley Community Church had grown to about 5,000. And Scott served for eight years as president, our president of Converge Worldwide. That's where I had the privilege of getting to know Scott. Uh, recently, Scott has stepped out of that role, and he has assumed the role as the chief operating officer for the Timothy Initiative, which is one of Wooddale's global partners. Scott is someone who I dearly love. Uh, Scott, you and Lisa have just been such an encouragement to both me and to Stephanie. Uh, you've been a great champion for us here at Wooddale Church, while the president of Converge, and Dale and I both are so thankful for that. Uh, but on a personal level, you've just spoken volumes uh, to me and, and to my ministry and to me as a leader. I'm a better leader because of you, and uh, I'm excited to continue to partner with you uh, in this new role for the Timothy Initiative. Uh, so, Woodell, uh, I want to give a warm welcome to Scott Rideout. Thank you. Well, hello, Wooddale. Great to be with you today. Uh, great to be up here in Minnesota. I was suffering for the Lord yesterday in Naples, Florida, so thank you for bringing me <laughs> up here. I, I want to say thank you for a number of reasons. First, as the former president of Converge, uh, I just want to say thank you for how you've invested in what God is doing around the world and what God is doing here in the Twin Cities and, and Minnesota. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, I just, I just want to say thank you for the Timothy Initiative as well, because your partnership, the result of that is you realize that thousands and thousands of people are going to be in heaven because of you. The gospel is going around the world to the places it's never been because of your investment, because of your prayers, your participation. Pastor Dale and I, we travel around the world together sometimes, and, uh, and it's just amazing to see what God is doing through the ministry of Wooddale through Pastor Dale as well as uh, through, through Kyle. Now, I want to say so thanks about something else because in 1991, I was a young pastor trying to figure things out, and I was invited into a, 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 a leadership cohort. 
And the cohort was put together by a guy named Leighton Ford. You probably don't know that name, but his brother-in-law, Billy Graham, maybe you heard of him. And, uh, and so Leighton put this group together, and they, he brought in some mentors that were experienced. And one of the mentors was a guy named Leith Anderson. Does anyone know that name? Yeah, so Leith invested in my life, and, uh, you know, I've tried to, to, to you know, pass it forward in, in my life, but I feel like I'm passing it back because I'm hanging out with Kyle a lot. So uh, uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and uh, let me just say this about Kyle. I, I know there's a transition going on here, and there's a, a vote coming up and things like that. Uh, Kyle's a great leader. And notice I didn't use the word young leader. No, Kyle leader. He's, he's a leader. He's a great leader, and what a privilege it is to, uh, to, uh, to be able to speak a sum into his life, and uh, just so grateful for that opportunity. And I think the best days of Wooddale are ahead of us. What do you think? I, I really do think they are. Well, uh, we're going to talk to you about living on mission. Living on mission. God is an uh, outward-facing, uh, outgoing, outreaching, on-mission God. And when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to following Jesus on, on mission. And you're like, well, what does that actually mean? So the good news is I have a definition of living on mission uh, for you. So if you're taking notes, check this out. Here's what it means to live on mission. It's living out the priorities of God in the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Living out the priorities of God and the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Living out the priorities of God means that God has certain things that are most important to Him. And we need to live those things out in our lives. His Word informs us of what those things are. And He wants us to have those things in the priorities of our life because they're in the priority of, of, of His life. Living out the priorities of God and the character of Christ. You know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. You can do the right thing in the wrong way. Anyone here got kids? They, they ever done their chores, the right thing, but they've done it in the wrong way or perhaps the wrong attitude? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we're talking about the love and the joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In the character of Christ, we, we, we approach others with humility and compassion. But we can do it opposite. So we need to make sure we're living out the priorities of God in the character of Christ and then through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in John chapter 15, verse 5. It says, apart from me, you can do, does anyone know? Nothing. Nothing. There's something about living in the power of the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit guide you and letting the Holy Spirit inform you of the things you need to know and opening up His Word and, and giving you courageousness when you need it. And there's something about living in the power of the Holy Spirit that just changes the Christian. Instead of us doing it, it's God doing it through us. And so this is my definition of living on mission. Now, now a whole lot of people don't really care about this definition because they're like, I, I don't really care about living on mission, but I do want to mature in my relationship with Christ. So let me give you a, a different definition. Uh, living uh, on mission is living out the priorities of God and the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but maturity is living out the priorities of God and the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it's the same thing. It, if you're trying to mature, you're going to live on mission. If you're living on mission, you're definitely starting to, to, to mature. But what does that look like in everyday life? I mean, how do I do this on an everyday basis in my experience, in my situation? How do I actually live on mission? Well, the good news is the Bible has a lot to say about that. And there are a whole lot of people we could follow in the Bible. But I think the best person to learn from is a guy named Jesus. What do you think? So, so let me, do me a favor. Meet me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 
35. And what we're going to see there is, is Jesus gives us a picture of what it means to live on mission. Uh, now, in the earlier part of chapter 9, Jesus has been very busy. He starts off the chapter, there's a, there's a paralytic that gets dropped through a ceiling, and, and he forgives his sin, and he heals his body. And then there's a, a, a Matthew, a tax collector. He calls him to follow him, and then Jesus starts eating with tax collectors and sinners, and he gets the religious people all, and they get all upset, and he talks to them about, you know, there's a different way of God than you think. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you have relationship, and he, he's starting talking about, listen, you guys need to think differently. And then he, talks, he meets this woman uh, on walking the road, and she's been, she's been bleeding for 12 years, and he, she touches his, the hem of his garment, and she's healed, and he's on his way to raise up a young girl from the dead, and then there's this person who, who is mute, and there's another person who's blind, and he casts out demons. He has spiritual authority. He has physical authority. In chapter 8, he had calm seas by just putting his hand up. Jesus is powerful, and so we get to verse 35, And it's really a summary of what Jesus has done so far. Let's pick it up in verse 35. It says this, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And what we're going to see over the next few verses is four things that Jesus did that he's asking us to do. Four choices Jesus made he's asking us to make. Four indications that we're living on mission because Jesus was living on mission. And the very first one is is this, that the first choice is that Jesus went. Jesus went. Listen, Jesus didn't wait for the other person to make the first move. He didn't wait for those outside the faith to figure it out to realize how messed up they are, to to get it all together, to to do the right thing. He didn't wait for those things. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, there's a a verse about God, and it says this, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad God didn't wait for us to get it right, for us to figure it out? How many of you remember uh, the verse John three sixteen? Anyone here old enough to remember the old football games with the guy with the rainbow hair? You know, he had the afro out there and he had John three sixteen. John three sixteen says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Aren't you glad that God did not wait for us to figure it out before he did that? Everyone knows verse 16, but few people know verse 17, which, which says this, that for, the, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He wasn't out there just to point out our problems. He was there to, to offer the solution. We, we spend so much time as Christians cursing the darkness. Jesus came to proclaim the light. We spend so much time finding what's, what's wrong with the world, and Jesus came to, to change those those things. So we've got a posture, and Jesus, Jesus went. He didn't wait for them to make first. He, he went, and then, and then he, it, says he, it says this, he went to all the cities and villages. That, that word all, if you look in your Bible, that word all is an English word translated from the Greek, which back to the English means all. <laughs> that's the cost of seminary right there, I just want you to know. That's, that's why I paid for it right there. All means all. All means that no one was left out. It means that everyone mattered to God. So they should matter to us. 
Look at me for a second. I, I don't know how long you've been here at Wooddale. I don't know what your background is, but no matter what you've done, where you've been, what's been done to you, how long you've been gone, how deep the hole is that you dug, God loves you. Christ died for you. He's not mad at you. He is mad about you. And I hope you can know this Savior that loves you so much. He includes everyone. And not just that, he's, he's very intentional. You notice in this passage, and, and it says this, he was, he was teaching, he was proclaiming, he was healing. He was, he was teaching, he was bringing hope and help and healing to those people. But it's not the only time it mentions this in Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. The exact same words are used when he's up in Galilee. Which means that this wasn't just a one-time thing for Jesus. This was a lifestyle. This is what he does. He does. He brings help and hope and healing. Help and hope and healing. He brings good news that is followed up with good deeds. See, a lot of us are out there proclaiming a message. We call it the gospel, but the message, it doesn't have much good news in it. And if the message you're proclaiming to those people around you doesn't have good news, if the gospel you're proclaiming doesn't have good news, it's either, it's, it's, it's incorrect. And if that gospel isn't followed up with good deeds, not for salvation, but from it, then it's incomplete. Let me say that again. If the gospel we had doesn't have good news and, and result in good deeds, it's either incorrect or it's incomplete. And Jesus, he, he went and he, he did these things. He initiated for, for us. He, he went out there. Jesus, Jesus went. Now, I, I have a friend of mine. His name is Gary Merrill. Gary, a number of years ago, we, were, we had a merger between our church and another church. Our church's average age was 35, and this church's average age was 65. You can already see the tension there, right? I mean, we, we, so, but we, we were working it through, and, and Gary was, he was the leader of the Fellowship of Light Sunday School class. When Fellowship of Light started, it was the young marrieds, and now it's been 27 years, and now they're the retirees, you know? But they, they're still meeting, and Gary came to me, and real humble man. He said, Scott, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, can, he says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to begin. You've been talking about sharing your faith and, and you know, reaching out to neighbors and being salt and light and stuff like that. Where do I even begin? And I said, well, do you, do you have someone in mind? He said, I, I do. Um, there's this person across the street, and she lost her husband a couple of years ago. And, and my wife, Linda, and I, we go over there and help her every once in a while, mow, mow her yard and stuff like that. I said, okay, well, have you ever thought just apologizing to her? And it kind of caught him off guard. He's like, I, I, I don't know what you mean, apologize to her. I said, well, you've been her neighbor how long? He said, six years. I said, and you've never invited her to church? You never actually talked to her about your relationship with Christ? And, and, uh, and he said, yeah. I said, you should apologize to her. And he thought about it. He's like, that might actually work. And so the next week he goes and he's, he's working in her yard and he's working on her front porch specifically and helping her out. And he looks up at her and Linda's right there and says, uh, hey, listen, um, before I go, I, I need to apologize to you. And she looks at him and is, she's just like, why in the world would you apologize to me? I mean, my husband passed away a couple years ago. You guys are here every week taking care of things for me and helping me out. Why would you apologize? And, and Gary just said, well, listen, I, we have been neighbors for six years, and I've done lots of stuff, but I've left out the most important part of my life. I haven't invited you into it. Said, listen, my faith is the most important thing to me, and I have a fantastic church, and it would just honor uh, uh, Linda and I. It, it's, we've been on your disservice. It would honor us if you would just come to church with us. Would, would you come to church? And she was so overwhelmed, she actually came. She's like, oh, okay. 
And um, so the, she goes to the church the next weekend, and there's women's Bible studies going on. And she's not a believer. And she thinks to herself, oh, Bible studies. I don't know the Bible at all. I should probably sign up for a Bible study. See, non-Christians think they should study Bible because they don't know it. Christians think they should study the Bible because they already know it. Because it's two different things, right? And so she signs up for the Bible study, and then she comes the next few weeks. You know what? She gives her life to Christ a couple weeks later. And about a month after that, I, I'm in the water with Gary baptizing his, his neighbor. Let me ask you a question. Who are you waiting on to make the first move? What, what neighbor, what coworker, what relative, what friend, what classmate, what teacher, what coach, what teammate, what, what person? Who are you waiting on to make the first move? God is ahead of you. He's already working in people's lives. Jesus went. It goes on to the next verse, and it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first thing is Jesus went. The second is Jesus felt. Second choice. He felt. Uh, I don't know about you, but I live in a garage door community, which means you go to work someplace else, and you get home, you open the garage door, and before you get out of the car, you close the garage door. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you're just wondering, does anyone actually live around me? Because I've never actually seen them and they've never actually seen me. And, you know, so I'm that guy that doesn't close this garage door. I go out there and look and hope, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm the freak in my neighborhood. You know, I'm just like that guy that just, I want to I know people. I want to I get to know them. And, and, you know, just, but we don't see people. At work, school, you know, around the town. We're around people, but, but do we really see them? Because if we see them, we probably notice that they're messy. Anyone think there's some messy people around the world? And what I found out is that I'm messy too. So go ahead and turn to the person beside you and say, you're a mess. And then, and then, and then say, and I'm even worse, all right? I'm even worse. Listen, you're a mess, I'm a mess, but God came to bless the mess. Listen. Anyone here want a miracle from God in their lives? There's only, there's, only two, there's only two things, two qualifications for a miracle. God and an impossible mess. That's all you need for a miracle. Ministry is messy. If you're not messy at all, you're probably not doing ministry. Ministry is messy because people are messy. I'm a mess, you're a mess, but God came to bless the mess. And so we just got to recognize that when we see people, we're going to see a mess. And that's what happens with Jesus. It says, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion is a Latin word. Calm means like. Passion means suffering. It means to enter into someone else's pain. Ooh, we don't like to do that. That's, that's, that's messy. And that's what Jesus did. He, he came to the world. He entered into your pain and into my pain. The, the pain of the Israelites was really, really good. They had been dominated by the Romans for decades. They were harassed by him. They were helpless. They, they couldn't figure out how to get food. They couldn't figure out medical care was not like Minnesota. Okay, medical care, they didn't, they didn't have it. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were depressed by their situations in life. And they just like, okay, who's going to help us? And Jesus came out like a light in the darkness. There's a power of the gospel. There's a power of those who bear the gospel. We bring light in any situation because we bring hope and help and healing. 
And that's what Jesus came, and that's what he, that's what he, he came and he, and he did. He brought help and hope and healing to these people who were harassed and helpless. He, he entered into their pain. He, he wanted to feel what they feel. Listen, if you see what God sees and you feel what God feels, you'll do what God says. But if you don't see what God sees and feel what he feels, you won't, you won't do what he says. We, we've got to enter into the pain of other people. Now, I tried really hard with my kids to help them with this. I, uh, uh, my youngest son, David, went to Cambodia for a summer. He wanted to experience a, another culture, and he decided he didn't like fish, which is really hard in Cambodia. But, but, you know, he, but he, he got to know people, and his heart just grew up. He's a pastor now. My daughter, Ashlyn, when she was 14 years old, I took her to Fiji, and we were part of a ministry. We were rescuing girls out of the sex slave trade, underaged girls. Most of these girls are between the ages of 11 and 14. And most of them had at least two kids at that point in time. And, and my daughter enters into this, and, and she shows them something they've never seen, because most of them, their fathers had sold them into, this, into the trade. And she said, well, I have, a, I have an earthly father that loves me deeply, which they've never seen. He said, but more importantly, I have a heavenly father that loves me too, and he loves you. And she got to share the gospel as a 14-year-old, and her heart just, it just, it broke my son, John, my oldest son, we went, used to work at a food pantry in our town that we'd started at our church, and we were to give food to families who were in need, and one day we were at the pantry, and uh, he's been taught what to do, and he's, you know, he's 11, 12 years old, and he, he puts the, the box up on the shelf, and he says, listen, I, I, I hope that God blesses you with this. May God bless your, bless your family, and he, he hands it to him, and he turns around, and I can see this look on his face, and it's just, it's just sad. I said, buddy, are you okay? He said, Dad. That family, I said, yeah. He said, that, the oldest boy. I said, yeah, he said, he's in my class, Dad. And it broke his heart. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Because his heart started to break for the things that broke the heart of God. And when that happens to us, something happens in us. When we get to feel what God feels, and we hear what God says, we'll do what he, what he wants us to do. He, he, he went. Jesus went and he, and he felt. We get to the next verse. It says this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see in this passage that he didn't just, he, he went and he felt and, and then, now he, he prays. And this passage is so full it's so full of, of so many things we could talk about. Let me just focus on this first part before he starts praying. And he says this, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. We just heard a story from Valera and Tanya, uh, Tanya about what happened in Ukraine. 60,000 people have given their lives to Christ since, uh, in their ministry alone since the war began over there. And I want to take a moment, I want to talk about your partnership with the Timothy Initiative. And for some of you who don't know the Timothy Initiative, what we do is we, we start uh, disciple-making movements uh, around the world among people that have never heard the gospel, the places where the gospel's never, never been. And it, we're 16 years old as a ministry. And again, you guys have been a partner for a long time. Let me just celebrate some things that have happened. Since 2007, we've now expanded from one country in 2007 to 42 countries and probably 50 countries in just the next few years. We've been able, by God's grace, to plant 176,000 churches. If you don't know what that means, let me just give you a perspective. There are 325,000 churches in America. In the next four or five years, we will plant more churches overseas than there are in America today. By God's grace. Yeah. 
We, we also work with groups called UPGs, that's unreached people groups, which means that less than 2% of their population, people in their culture who speak their language, actually know the gospel. Actually heard of the gospel. You realize that 86% of people who are unreached don't have any connection with a Christian? And, and the, reason, the reason they haven't come to Christ is because no one's told them about Christ. They probably would because the, the demand for people to know Christ is greater than our capacity to reach them. Just in the past year in the Timothy Initiative, by God's grace, 28,879 churches have been planted, uh, 257,000 decisions for Christ. This says 46,000 baptisms. That's not true. It's been over 48,000. I just found out le- yesterday. So praise God for what he's doing. And this is only a small piece only a small piece of the partnerships that you have. If you go out into the, into the lobby area, you'll get to meet all these other fantastic partners of what God is doing, doing there. But it's amazing to see. So the harvest is plentiful, he says. But he says, but the, but the workers are few. So hear me now. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the church. So few people are living on mission that the harvest is plentiful, it's the workers that are, that are so few. And so, so, so beg God to send workers into his harvest field. See, one of the things we tried to figure out at, at the Timothy Initiative was, okay, why is this working so well? I mean, because after all, we're in charge of it and we don't know what we're doing. But, but God does, right? And what we figured, at least one thing we figured out is this, is that one of the reasons it's working is because Africans are reaching Africans, and Asians are reaching Asians, and Ukrainians are reaching Ukrainians, and, and neighbors are reaching neighbors, and people who speak the same language are reaching, and so the empowerment of the local people to do the work is actually one of the things that God has given us the grace to, to grasp and understand. It's, it's not strangers coming in, but it's, it's ordinary people being empowered to, to be sent out. We actually believe that God has perfectly positioned these people to be the ones who take the gospel to their neighbors. He's perfectly positioned them to take the gospel to their coworkers and to their family and to their friends, that, that God has perfectly positioned them to do the work. And so we just need to empower them to do it. Now, here's the thing. You realize that God has perfectly positioned you, right? You're not in your family by mistake. And so that uncle or aunt that doesn't know Christ or that, that neighbor or perhaps that, 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 that sister or brother or parent or child, listen, you're, you're not in your family by mistake. You really aren't. You're not in your friendships by mistake. Even the ones that kind of rub you the wrong way, you're, you're, not, in, you're not in that friendship by mistake. You're there because you're, you're perfectly positioned by God to share the gospel with them. You're, you're not in your team or your school. You're not there by mistake. Your math class, you hate it. But you're not there by mistake. You're, you're there to actually be a witness to those eight people that sit around your desk. Your community, you're not here by mistake. God wants to use you. So Lisa and I, we just moved to a, a new community. We, we lived in Arizona for 22 years, and then we moved to Florida for eight years. And so we lived in the oven. We moved to the dishwasher. <laughs> I'm visiting the refrigerator right now. So uh, I'm not sure what Raleigh would be. I mean, is it a blender? I don't, I don't know what Raleigh is. It doesn't, doesn't fit the motif here. But, but we, we moved in. I, I actually believe that God has placed us in our neighborhood on purpose because I work at a Christian workplace and my evangelistic opportunities are very, very small uh, in that place. I may feel like they're acting like non-Christians at the time, but no, no, they're, they're definitely 
believers. So, but my neighborhood is what I've got. I'm too cheap to join a gym and all that sort of stuff. So I've got my neighbors. And so we've, we, we moved there October the 6th. Uh, but even before we moved in, I decided, at least let's go walk the neighborhood, and they got beautiful trails around there, so we're walking the neighborhood, and we've met a bunch of neighbors, and so I live like halfway up a hill, and um, in Arizona, this would never work because there are no hills, but I live halfway up, here it works, I'm halfway up the hill, and then below me is Danielle and, and Rob, and they have three boys, and uh, they're great, and then below them is uh, Lenka uh, and Mark, they're from Slovakia. And Mark's already invited me to a brewery and already invited me to, to go mo- uh, mountain bike with him, which is, which is great. And then you go up the hill and Meg Ryan lives there. Well, I'm sorry, Meg and Ryan live there <laughs> with their uh, son uh, CJ and their daughter Savannah. And then right beside them is, uh, is uh, Greg and Julie, and they've got a couple of kids. And I haven't met these people, but I've got them on my target. And then above them is Hui. Hui is from Vietnam, and his mother and father are there. They don't speak any English, but they've already invited us over to dinner, which is great. Beside them is Richa. She's from India. Mumbai is actually where she's from. She's got a son. It's a, it's a junior high age son. They came over on trick-or-treating on uh, Halloween. And, and then across the street is Letitia and Omar. Letitia's a lawyer from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Omar is from Palm Beach, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. He works for the VA. have no idea how they got together, but I can't wait to hear about, about this one. Stephanie and Carlos are beside them, but I haven't met them yet, but I've heard about them, you know. And then you go around the corner, and Cody and Caitlin are there, and then Sarah uh, and uh, uh, her husband, uh, Andy, are, are right there. And you go down below us, and Tim and Kelly are over here. They're from Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, they're from the Liberty background. They're believers. We don't really care about them. But across the street... <laughs> But across the street is, is Jason and Erica. We know they're not believers because Jason's from St. Paul. So we know that. So, but we're, we're getting to know our neighbors. We, we're there. We've been there since October 6th. And what I've tried to do is try to see them and, and try to enter their lives and, and feel what's going on. And just because I, I think maybe God has perfectly positioned me to be the neighbor, to be the light in, in, in my neighborhood. How about, how about you? in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, you know, could it be that God has perfectly positioned you to be the witness of his goodness and his grace in their lives? Jesus went, he felt, he, he prayed, and the last part is this, and the next verse is this, verse chapter 10, verse five, there's a little bit of room there. He says, these 12 Jesus send out. So he, he told the disciples to pray, and then he said, why don't you be the answer to your own prayer? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. God, send workers into the harvest field. I'm begging you. And, and all of a sudden, we have to be the answer. And I, I talked about that a little bit in my story, but, but maybe we should be the answer to our own, our own prayer. So, sometimes it's hard, though, isn't it? Sometimes you're not sure it's, 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 really, it's really working. And so uh, we lived in Arizona. We had a, a neighborhood that had 572 homes, we had 1,000 families moving in every month from 1996 to 2003. We just crazy numbers, and our, our, we, I just targeted my whole neighborhood. The guy two doors down, his name was Larry. I called him Beer Guy, because every time I was with Larry, uh, he had a beer in his hand. Didn't matter what time of day it was, he had a beer in his hand. And across the street, there was Rick. He was gun guy, because his, his daughters were teenagers. He would clean his guns when the boyfriend came over. I don't know why, but, but so... Anyway, so I'm talking to Larry, and, and I got to admit, I'm a pastor, and I really don't want them to know that I'm a pastor, because I don't know about you, but when someone finds out I'm a pastor, they start calling me Padre, 
Um, they, they started confessing their sin to me. You know, they just, they stopped being normal around me. And I just, I want normal people. So I wouldn't tell anyone I was a pastor. And so I just, I, I spent 10 months in the neighborhood. No one knew I was a pastor. And we were going to do this block party. And uh, I was like, we were sitting, we, we sat around this fire pit during the, it was October. We sat around the fire pit because when it gets below 70 degrees, you know, so, uh, and, and so we're sitting around and I said, hey, I'm going to do a block party. Anyone want to help me? And Larry's like, I'll help you. And so a few weeks later, we invited all our neighbors to come, and, and Larry and I were, were carrying tables out. It's a Friday morning, and he's like, hey, how'd you get off work today? I said, well, I just took it off. He said, well, what do you do? And I'm like, crud, you know? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. He dropped the front of the table. He's like, you're, you're what? I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he said, is, is that why you never take a beer when I offer it? I said, no, because you offer it at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's why, you know, so. (laughs) He's like, all right. So we we put the party together and we're talking and it seems to be going okay. And we we sit down at the party and the party's great. We have a hundred neighbors show up for our block party. It's a fantastic time. And the party's over. We're at the fire pit because now it's 65. It's really cold. We're going to the fire pit. And uh, Larry looks at my wife and says, I heard your, your husband's a pastor. And he tells the whole group. He rats me out to the whole group. I'm like, yeah. And then he says, what would you give me to come to your church? My wife's so smart. She says, what would it take, Larry? He says, I I want a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. She's like, you are on. And he says, and I want a beer helmet. Do you know what a beer helmet is? It's the the helmets that have the two beer cans on the top with straws coming out of it. She's like, I want to see you, Lisa, buy a beer helmet for me. You know, I just wanted the pastor's wife to go buy one. She's like, you are on. And she looks at me and says, you need to go find one. This is is the late 90s and we don't have Amazon. So I go to this place called Spencer's. Does anyone remember Spencer's? It's the only place I can find one. And can you imagine your pastor being in Spencer's? It's just not the place to be, but I, I'm incognito, wearing a cap and just going to carry this thing out. And I, I, we get home and we've got this Christmas thing going on where we're going to have a Christmas, I'm dating myself, a drama going on. And uh, we're going to invite Larry and Kathy and the kids to that. And, and so we've got the donuts, we've got the helmet, and we go to his front door and Lisa knocks on the door and she's like, I gotcha. Now you have to come. And, you know, he's like, okay. So a few weeks later, it's December, and, uh, and we're having our Christmas. It's like a couple weeks before Christmas. We have our Christmas uh, drama, and, and Larry's coming in. He brought his wife and his kids. He brought gun guy with him just in case he had to, you know, protect himself and, from these Christians and shoot his way out of the whole, you know, drama. And so, so he, he comes in, and he does that, and, and, and they come. And then I don't see him for a couple weeks, and I'm thinking, oh, I hate that, don't you? You invite a friend to church, and you don't talk about it, and then you're like, did they like it? Did they not like it? But we had planned another, we'd planned another block party for Christmas, and so I knock on his door. I'm like, hey, man, um, uh, I was just wondering, you know, will you help me with the block party? He's like, sure, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. And, and I was like, by, by the way, you know, you and I didn't really talk about, you know, what'd you think of the, of the church service? He says, yeah, I was afraid you're going to say that. I'm like, oh, man. He said, well, the fact is that the story of the drama was about a guy that, that kind of forgot about his family at Christmas time. And uh, he said, that's my story. I, I kind of, you know, let work get in front of my family, and I just kind of lost focus, and I've had these struggling years. And he said, I didn't want you to see me because I was, I was bawling when I got done. <laughs> he said, I loved it. Like, okay, well, that's, that's good. And so a, a couple days later, we're doing the block party, and we're sitting down in my front yard. We've got about 75 neighbors over, and, and Larry stands up. He's got a beer in his hand. He says, hey, I've got an announcement to make. 
I want to tell everybody, I went to church last weekend or a few weekends ago. I went to Scott's church. Scott's church is the best church. Everyone should go to that church. Forgetting that he's holding a beer up in his hand, you know. (laughs) And I've got a non-Christian who's far from the church but near to the heart of God. He's saying, you know, Scott's church is the best church. You know, out of the 572 homes, we had over 100 of our neighbors eventually attend our church at some point in time. Praise God. And I've I've got a non-Christian holding up a beer saying, this is the place to be, you know. And I've had churches, I've told that story, and they come to me and say, well, I don't really think you should tell that story in church. It's got beer in it. It's got guns in it. It's probably not a church story. But here's my thought. If Jesus were in my neighborhood, that's exactly where he'd be. Right? That's exactly where he'd be. Because Jesus went and he felt and he prayed and he sent. You and I, we are a sent people. We are a sent people. And it's not what we do, it's who we are. Our identity is we are sent by God. John 20, verse 21. As the Father sent me, I am now sending you. So let's go. Let's feel. Let's pray. Let's send others. Hey, join me in this. Because God's called us to be on mission, living out the priorities of God and the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, you're so good. The idea that you would use messed up people like us is just crazy. And so I just ask for your grace in our lives as we try to figure out who's next, who should be on our list, who is it that you've put in our our minds and our hearts and in our presence that we should be paying attention to. Help us to see people Help us to go, help us to feel, help us to pray that you'll be ahead of us, help us to challenge others to join us. And God, by your grace, many more people will be in heaven. And so God, just right now, would you put the, in, the, in, in our minds, put the, put the face of a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, a friend, a classmate, a teacher, a coach, a teammate, somebody that you're saying, hey, this is the next one. This is the one by your grace. Be ahead of us, and may they, may we celebrate uh, your goodness because you were ahead of us, and they, may, they, may they come to Christ at the right time as we invest our lives living on mission. In Jesus' name, amen.